Live from the capital of the Commonwealth, this is the Sports Huddle with Bob Black on 1061 ESPN. We're also streaming live at ESPNRichmond.com and on the iHeartRadio app. Call in and talk with Bob anytime at 327-0888. Now, here's Bob Black with the Sports Huddle on 1061 ESPN. Calandria with Mike Collins. And Calandria going to be sacked. This performance by JMU coming into a Power 5 stadium, dealing with the things that they dealt with on the field today. And there were times where Virginia looked like they had an opportunity to run away with this thing. And the Dukes are able to go on a road. Well, I guess you could say it was worth the wait. For JMU, whether you are referring to the 40-year wait or the approximately 75-minute weather delay wait, either way, if you're purple and gold, if you're JMU, the worth the wait was worth it. Rallying from what 11 down in the fourth quarter for a 36-35 victory, signature win for James Madison at Virginia on so many different levels this weekend one of the games that we will continue to recap for you as we move along on the Tuesday edition of the Sports Huddle. Bob Black with you here. Um, AJ producing in our ESPN Richmond studios and sticking around for a second hour. This has become more the norm than the exception, I guess. Our mashup Monday becomes a Tuesday because we weren't on the air on Monday. That's happened the last couple of weeks, once because of a holiday, once because the Braves were playing a doubleheader yesterday and we carried Braves baseball for you, so we're catching up a little bit today. So Matt has once again generously agreed to stick around for another hour so we can do kind of the mashup edition of Border to Border and the Sports Huddle. And it's a good thing because I want Matt to pick up on where he was in the 3 o'clock hour with Border to Border. And full disclosure here, because of my commitment with Richmond football and being on the road with the Spiders, I didn't see either one of the games that we'd start with, JMU, Virginia, and Purdue, Virginia Tech, even with the lengthy weather delays. And the one in Blacksburg was far longer than the one in Charlottesville. But I still didn't get a chance to watch those games unfold was following them, of course, um, on the phone and stats and Matt with his updates during the Spider game. So good to have him here because I know he was able to watch them a little bit more closely than I was. Um, and Matt, I think my first question to you would be what happened to the running games for both Virginia and Virginia Tech? These are very paltry-looking numbers for the Hokies and the Hoos. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's uh, – I, look, the, the Hokies didn't run the ball very well against Old Dominion either, to, to, to say the least. They had, a, obviously, more success. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think sometimes they abandon it in some situations. I mean, Calandria was was throwing the ball pretty well. And then in other situations, it's just the offensive line's not just not good enough. I guess that's the flip side, which you just alluded to, is while they're uh, – rushing game wasn't very much their passing games were really good but i'm not sure you can win a lot of football games particularly in the acc doing it that unbalanced i don't know what you think about that maybe you think they can do it that way you mentioned calandria you know threw the ball great uh looks like maybe virginia has a, a strong arm quarterback there 20 of 26 377 yards and two touchdowns now when you throw the ball that many times you're going to get sacked and he was sacked four times 
in that contest. And then for Virginia Tech, again, they didn't have much in the way of ground game. Grant Wells goes 16 of 33 for 243. And he was sacked three times and, and picked two. I don't know, Matt. I'm just not so sure. Maybe it was game plan for the particular opponents. Maybe I was going to say maybe it's a little bit weather-related, but that would have given you the opposite effect, I think. I just don't know that you can win games with those kind of, again, to use my adjective, paltry rushing numbers for both the Hokies and the Hoos. Well, Tech was losing wide receivers to injury left and right, unfortunately, and uh, Ali Jennings is out this week, and Jalen Lane's questionable, and that's when you're when you're losing your one and two. Uh, that's not exactly going to help you very much. No, it really isn't. Let's do flip side here, and what do you think this means to to James Madison? As I mentioned, forty years they've had this game circled on their calendar. Um, they 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 came again from from double digit deficit. This is becoming a positive trend, I guess, for Kurt Signetti's team. I imagine he'd rather not be falling behind what they had a couple of 20 point deficits even more than that last year and now they've done it again this year yeah i um it's i mean it's great it's great resiliency but you can't live off of that um and we'll never know if if the lightning delay and the kind of the atmosphere and the energy that uva had kind of being zapped and and taken away if that's gonna was one of the reasons why jmu was able to take advantage of it we'll never know obviously but um that certainly has to be a little bit of a factor uh, back on saturday just in reading some of the game stories and whatnot, it sounds like Kurt Signetti actually is a believer in what you just talked about. Like he felt like in their situation, that delay probably helped them. Uh, and when you're trailing, I guess that's kind of the case. You can make some more adjustments, that kind of thing. Being on the road probably helps you a little bit when you get into that kind of delay. I think that's where I would head on that. Um, for a couple of reasons, not the least of which is you're probably going to lose some of the crowd that could have been in the home team's favor when you go through a lengthy delay like that. And remember, at UVA, they had, what, 55, 56,000 uh, on a very emotional day that began with, with the ceremony and all of that. But I would think it probably helps the visiting team when there's a lengthy, unexpected delay like that in football, in college football. And, you know, proof is in the pudding. The visiting team, right, won both of those games, Purdue and Blacksburg and JMU and Charlottesville. Well, five and a half hours, I don't know who that helps. I mean, that's just that's just different. But, yes, I don't know too many fans who are going to sit there through five and a half hours. They may have sat there through two hours, uh, started losing their libations, and said, well, we could just go watch this game somewhere else. And so, you know, in, in Tech's, uh, you know, case, I mean, that's a delay. I don't know who that benefits because either side is both of them are going to be rusty. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, what do you think, Jamie? You ready? Uh, Sunbelt play starts for them this week, right, at Troy, which, uh, you know, defending champs from a year ago. You think they're ready? I like Troy. Uh, I mean, overall for this season, I'm a bit concerned that it's the second game on the road coming off an emotional win in um, in Charlottesville. Obviously, coach is going to have to snap back them into focus. But if there's a team that's kind of had to deal with adverse situations, I mean, this team has done the last three or four years, I mean, you know, with the NCAA stuff and, and, you know, not having a bowl game and things like that. Like, they've gone through all sorts of things. It should be a fun game. Uh, I'm actually more concerned about their third road game in a row, the Utah state game because it's not a conference game and it's a longer trip but that's obviously next week but uh, yeah i think it'll be fun to watch these two teams play uh, and try and catch up to uh, to odu in the standings that's a really interesting point that you just made about the schedule and the way it lays out for jmu and i know you've got coach signetti this week i wonder if he would comment on that at all and how much his fingerprint 
is on this schedule and how much of this is done by an athletic director, a sport administrator, and maybe even some of it was put in place enough years ago that he really wasn't involved in that. But to play those three road games consecutively, uh, no matter what had happened at UVA, and obviously we all wish none of the tragedy had happened, but even if it hadn't happened, that game is still circled on JMU's calendar. Then you get a conference game, and I realize it's just the second year in the conference, so they probably didn't have a whole lot to say in the Troy game, and then another non-conference game on the road on the heels of that. That's a that's an interesting three-game stretch for them. I'm not sure, Matt, that any coach would really sign off on that if he if he had his druthers. Yeah, um, obviously you, it's very rare to see a team play three straight on the road unless you're trying to make money, you know, the paycheck games and things like that, or if it's college basketball when, you know, we see, unfortunately, the, the MEAC teams and the SWAC teams have to play, like, their whole non-conference schedule on the road, mm-hmm. but, like, it, Yes, it's got to be tough, and obviously the you know the travel. It's not like they could stay somewhere for a week and then come back and everything because they're all in different parts of the country. But um, you know, obviously that first road trip, Bob, is a road trip, but it's not exactly a long one, so that kind of helps, I guess. Yeah, I think it was more the emotional side of it than it was the physical side of the road trip in the first one. Be a little different in two and three, but they travel well enough. I think they'll they'll be all right there. All right, real quick before we uh, before we get going here, both Virginia and Virginia Tech. Speaking of road games on the road, both of them playing Big Ten teams. Quick thought on Virginia Tech at Rutgers and Virginia at Maryland on Friday night. I wonder what Virginia has in the emotional tank uh, for that game on Friday. One less day to prepare. Tony Musket was uh, back at practice, it seems like. They haven't said he's going to be the starter, but that's what it kind of looks like. I just wonder what they have left emotionally. If that weather delay doesn't kill this week, at least the start. You know, Maryland's a tough place to play. So I wonder if Virginia's down early against the Terps. And then I don't know how Virginia Tech scores against Rutgers. Rutgers' defense is very good. I think they've only allowed one touchdown in each of their games so far this season if Jennings is out which we know he is and if Lane's out and if Wells is out and if you know some of these other guys that are questionable don't play like I don't know how the Tech's only chance is to keep this a 17-10 game which is why the total is 39 and a half but um, we'll watch the uh, injury report this week to see what we get and who's going to play for the Hokies. All right, more on college football coming up as we go through the course of the next couple of hours on the Sports Huddle. I purposely avoided the NFL and the Washington Commanders, and here's why, as we tell you what we do have coming up on this Tuesday afternoon. Here's what's coming up on today's Sports Huddle. This is a huge fan of sports. This is the River City Rundown. River City Rundown brought to you by the Richmond chapter of the American Red Cross. Your help is needed for the Red Cross to continue to be on call for local or national emergencies. To learn how you can volunteer or donate blood, visit redcross.org. Remind me later, either in today's show or one of the upcoming shows, I ran into a buddy of mine today that I hadn't seen in quite a while, and he volunteered to me that he has been volunteering for the American Red Cross. Didn't know our association with it at all. We were just talking about things, and he brought it up. I thought it was really cool, and I'll relate that story to you. And also to Jonathan McNamara from the American Red Cross, who will be on with us later in the week to talk not only American Red Cross, but he was at the Virginia JMU game as a proud Duke, and we'll get his perspective on that. That's coming up later in the week. Coming up later in the show today, and not very much later. In fact, right after the break, Nikki Javala will join us from the Washington Post covering the Washington Commanders. That 
that's the team and the topic I purposely avoided in the first segment because we're going to do a lot of it the rest of the afternoon. Nikki joins us right after the break. Get her perspective. And then at 5.30, Darrell Owens from the Legacy Maker Sports Network. He was also at Sold Out. Yes, sold out FedEx Field for Sunday's Commander's victory over Arizona, and we'll get his thoughts as well. 804-327-0888 to get your comments and thoughts. That gets you on the air. It's also our text line, 327-0888. Back to talk some Commander's football. Nikki Jabvalo joins us right after the break on 1061 ESPN. Think we can safely say the Braves will take the NL East. Now it's time for them to wrap up the league's best record with plenty of critical matchups still remaining. Hear all the action here on 1061 ESPN Richmond. Your home for the Atlanta Braves. For locking in with us this afternoon on 1061 ESPN here in Richmond in the capital city. Bob Black with you here. Matt Joseph's co-hosting till about 5 o'clock this afternoon. AJ producing. All right, first segment, as I mentioned, purposely avoided the NFL and the Washington Commanders because I knew the guest we had coming up here in this segment, and we're going to dive into everything Washington Commanders and their season opening win over Arizona. Nikki Jabvala from the Washington Post joins us this afternoon. Hello, Nikki. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Doing great. Thanks for spending a little bit of time with us today. And let me start here because I really felt strongly about this. Um, For the commander's sake, I understand there were turnovers. I understand there were a lot of quarterback sacks. I know it was way too close for comfort. But the bottom line of any game, would you agree they had to win this one? No matter how ugly it possibly looked, you can correct all that other stuff later. But you had to get this win over a bad Arizona team in game one of the Josh Harris era. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, I was really worried there for a minute that they might not win. And that would have been, I don't want to say disastrous, but it would not have been great. Um <laughs> I, I think they went into it hoping to dominate. Um, definitely didn't do that, but yeah, just getting a win of any sort is 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 good for them. All right. So of all the negative things that I mentioned, and I'm not trying to be negative, and don't think I normally am, but of all of those mm-hmm. things, where does the immediate initial most improvement need to come? And I think we're talking almost exclusively offensively. Yeah, I mean, I the defense won that game, obviously. I think, listen, Sam Howell has only started two games. I, I thought he played actually pretty well, given his limited experience, you know, and I, I see that just in he hasn't seen a lot of things on the field, and he's a smart guy, and he puts in the work, so the more he sees, the easier, the better it will be, and I thought he showed an, actually a, a good number of positives. Um, I actually thought two of the biggest weakest, area, weakest areas were still the offensive line, Um you know, not all the sacks were on the on the line. I don't want to blame them for all of them. Some of them were on Sam. Um, but I just thought the protection was a little spotty in some areas. Um, and I'm still worried about the depth there. You know, one injury, and that could change, you know, the, the outlook for the for the entire line, really. They're really banking on that, that starting five. And there's still, I'd say the right side is still a bit weaker than the left. Um, and then the tight ends, you know, and, and they're – they're sound players. I think they're just knocking some rust off, but Logan Thomas didn't have his greatest day, that's for sure. Um, they just need to be better blockers, for one, and then catch the ball. Um, hmm. 
but you know, I, I think I think the biggest issues were team wide issues. You know, protect the ball. You can't be fumbling the ball. Antonio Gibson, you know, he has a history of fumbling. You can't be doing that in the red zone. Um, Got to protect the ball at all costs, um, and just pay attention to details, which is something they've been harping on throughout the entire. Uh, preseason and training camp, so I, I think they'll work through some of these, some of these kinks. But it may just take a little time. What did you make of the run pass ratio, especially early? It felt like uh, it, it, uh, that they were leaning heavily on the pass when we heard so much in the off season that this wants to be a, a run based team. Yeah, I mean this offense is is a pass first offense. It's what it is. Um, you know, this is. I, I know there was a a lot made of it in the offseason. I think Ron and Martin regret going there because, first of all, there is no such thing as a two-to-one run-pass ratio. I think one team in, like, the last 60 years has achieved such a thing. Um, so, I mean, this is the pass-first offense. Now, they're not going to be throwing the ball as much as the Chiefs because they don't have the same quarterback as the Chiefs. Um, but the running backs are much more involved in the passing game. I do think they need to figure out what the identity of their backs are going to be in this offense. And I don't know that they have yet. I don't know that Brian Robinson fully knows how he fits in this offense. And I I don't want to speak for him. It's not like that. It's just this is not the same personnel that the Chiefs have, so you can't expect it to be completely the same. Um, But it is not a run first by any means. Um, It was never going to be a run first, not when you bring in Eric Bieniemy. Yes, it's a West Coast system, and there are some concepts. Um that I guess you could say enhance the run, but it's a pastor's offense. The league is pastors at this point. Um, but they, I do think they need to find more ways to get Brian Robinson involved and use his strengths. I mean, he's a power back. He is a strong back. He can, you know, drag six defenders with him um, for an extra 10 yards. So I, I think they really need to get him involved more. Well, along those same lines, what did you think of the usage for Chris Rodriguez and Antonio Gibson? I mean, obviously, they really like Antonio Gibson. They want to do a lot of things with him, but he had three carries, and so did Chris. Right. Yeah, no, I know. And I, I that one run where uh, Antonio Gibson fumbled, I why was that not Brian Robinson's? That's what I did. You're in the, in the red zone. Why is that not Brian Robinson? That was the one question I had. Um, I think we could see a bit more of Chris Rodriguez. I, the plan going into the season was to get A.G. out in space more. It's something he's been lobbying for, and this is the right offense to do it, just given his receiver background. Um, but we'll, we'll see. I think they're going to this, – this year all around is sort of, you know, a testing ground. You know, everybody's kind of trying out for their jobs with new ownership, and they're transitioning to a new offense, new play caller – and some things are going to work, and a lot of things aren't. And they're going to figure it out, hopefully. So, Nikki, let me uh, follow up, kind of piggyback on what Matt was asking offensively. In general, then, what was your overall analysis of Eric Bieniemy? what he did, how he handled mm-hmm. it in his first regular season game as the Commander's OC? Yeah. I thought, it, I thought it was okay. I thought more of the mistakes were on the players and the play callers. I know it's hard to kind of separate the two when you're watching. Um, I guess I'd say my only, not really a gripe was, I felt like he got a little too conservative in the second half. Um, but I could also understand the reasonings given their turnover. I, I think both sides are trying to feel each other out. Um, you know, I think they're going to kind of work through some issues and kind of figure out what both sides do best. So, um, 
I wasn't upset by the play calling by any means. I didn't come away frustrated like I did, you know, multiple times over the last couple of years and not to compare the OCs. But I, I think there was that feeling like, why the heck are they doing this right now? You know, mm-hmm. I didn't come away feeling that based on, you know, their play Sunday. Um, but they, they got to be more focused on the details, truly. Mm-hmm. All right. On the defensive side where this game was certainly won, Sunday mm-hmm. uh, pretty much as advertised, right? Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Montez Sweat yeah. kind of took matters into their own hands, didn't they? Literally. Yeah, literally. Um, yeah, they had this three-play sequence that just really turned the game on its head um, and just took it over. And Montez Sweat had a great line after. I mean, this is this is – what they're ex- this is what they expect to do, given they have three, sometimes four first rounders on that starting line. Um, the bar is high for that group, and you know now that they're what four years in of playing together, five years almost. Um, you know they're they're really starting to get it. You know this is their fourth year in Del Rio's system, so you can you can tell where that familiarity. And, of course, the talent and size um, is really working for them. And to have the depth and the playmakers on the back end, too, of course it only helps. One more, and then we'll move on to um, to next week to, to Denver, which I know you're excited mm-hmm. about. We'll get to that <laughs> as well. Uh, overall atmosphere, vibe, kind of scene set, to borrow a broadcast phrase, Nikki, of what FedEx was like and have they really – you know, turned the page and moved on now with a sellout crowd on opening day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought it, it felt totally different. Um, you know, the, the crowd was involved when the defense came through in the second half. They got re-involved. They kind of got quiet there for a bit when the, when the team was in a lull. But it was a completely different environment. You had so many alumni come back, many of whom who hadn't been back in years, like Rigo and RG3. Um, so it, it was, it was great. It's, you know, had that feel, I hate to make this comparison because it's, it's not the same obviously, but it had that feel with the fans there more like RFK. So it was, it was a fun atmosphere. Now, have they turned the corner? I think it's way too premature to say that. I think this is, that was a great start for fan turnout. Um, but you got to have that consistently to say there's a turnaround and that they're back. I mean, they, you know, I don't. I don't think they've come close to where they want to be in terms of season ticket holder base and things like that. So, yeah, it was a great start. You know, can they sell out week three and the home games after that, and do it again next season, the season after that? Because that's that's a sign of a team really turning it around. So next week, it's an interesting road trip to Denver, taking on the Broncos here. Obviously, it's only Tuesday, so there's injuries and things like that, injury reports. But what's your early thoughts on this game next week? Because Denver, obviously, coming off of uh, their game against the Raiders. Yeah, I mean, I think this is, again, where the defense has a chance to, you know, really be the star of the game. Um, The offense in Denver looks somewhat improved over last year, you know, and kind of given where they were at last year, I guess the bar was set pretty low, but... You know, I think this is a game where that line really has a chance to rattle Russell Wilson and, and capitalize. I mean, the one thing they didn't do, the Broncos last last or a few days ago, really was they couldn't get any explosive. I think they only had like what two twenty yard completions, only sixteen points. Um, so if they can pressure Russell Wilson, the back end comes through. I mean, that the defense has a real chance to, to capitalize on this. Um, and then on the other side, I mean, this is it's 
Denver's a tough place to go for any team. I mean, you're dealing with the altitude. They do pack it in in Denver, usually, no matter what. I haven't been to games, obviously, in a few years. But, you know, even when they're bad, Broncos fans pack it in. So um, it really is a true, true road game, not like going to the Chargers or anything. Um, So it it could be a tough environment. Um, But, you know, I think they have all the pieces on offense. You know, you look at that receiving core. If the the tight ends can kind of clean things up, if if the line can hold up, and on a tangent with the line, I do think Sadiq, Sadiq Charles is, you know, a freak in all positive, you know, in any positive sense of the word. Um, I, I think he's a really tremendous talent, and if he can hold up health-wise, he could be really good. Um, but I, my point, they, they do have a lot of talent on that side of the ball. Um, so I, it, I think it's very possible they get a win. Will they? You know, I never know with this team, you know. It, it's just like last game. It honestly could have gone either way, so... We'll see. It would be great if they could start 2-0, though. Hey, is this uh, is this the Nikki Bowl out here this week? Uh, <laughs> audience that doesn't know, Nikki covered the Denver Broncos for, what, Nikki, about a, about a half dozen years or so for the Post and, yeah. and, and the Athletic, right? What, what are you thinking? Yeah. What are you feeling this week? I'm just excited to go home and get a home-cooked meal for my parents. That's what I'm looking forward to the most. So, I mean, the, the perks, right? Yeah. <laughs> That, that that's awesome. Uh, have a great time out there. Thank you for the uh, perspective on on week one for the Commanders. As we said, winning the game is the most important thing, and they'll start the improvements now with with week two at Denver. So greatly appreciate the time this afternoon, Nikki. You bet. Anytime, guys. All right, Nikki Jabala from the Washington Post. Yeah, she covered the Broncos. Um, 2014 to just a couple of years ago to about 2020 or so. Didn't realize her parents were still out there, so that really will be a homecoming for her this coming week. All right, uh, let's get the break in here. Matt's with us for another half hour, 804-327-0888. If you'd like to check in with either one of us, either on the air or via text, 327-0888. Obviously, more NFL talk coming up and the whole Aaron Rodgers thing with the Achilles tendon injury, uh, all of that still to go, and more college football talk as well. On the other side of the bottom of the hour break, 1061 ESPN. As the Braves roll toward the 2023 postseason, there is one goal in mind, a World Series title. They still have plenty of obstacles to clear before that, and you can hear all the action here on your exclusive home for the Atlanta Braves in the capital city. 1061 ESPN. Richard. I'll uh, do the quarterback real quick. Um, uh, concerned with his Achilles, uh, MRI is probably going to confirm what we think is already going to happen. So prayers tonight, but it's not good. Yeah, I heard that live last night on ESPN after the game. Robert Sala, the head coach of the New York Jets, and it was confirmed today what everybody believed. It is an Achilles tendon injury for Aaron Rodgers and his season tragically is done after just four plays last night for the Jets somehow they rallied the troops and came up with a very impressive win uh, over the Buffalo Bills in the Monday night football game we'll get into that a little bit as we move along but this this kind of transitions Matt in, into this caller and where we're headed so during the break um, AJ in my ear says you've got Drew from Chicago on the on the line to go to when we get back and i think matt knows where we're going aj wasn't around back in these these good old days for sure for sure this is not a despondent chicago bear caller i can tell you that even though they lost that game 38 to 20 this is actually a very happy 
Green Bay Packer caller who may or may not realize, but he's got the added bonus of not only being able to talk to me, Drew, but also Matt Josephs. Hello, Andrew. How are you? Hey, Bob. Hey, Matt. How's, how are you guys doing? Everything's good out here. Yeah, I'm, uh, oh my God, Bob, I turned on uh, Disney Plus to watch Disney's reboot of Brett Favre yesterday, and uh, man, what the heck happened there? That was pretty insane. It didn't really even look like much of an injury at all. <laughs> are you happy now to have who you have? And Jordan Love had a better game yesterday, certainly, than Justin Fields did throwing those three touchdown passes and leading the pack to the win. Yeah, that one not too far away from my spot. That was a, a nice win, but hey, I've been been yelling the classic Crimson Tide phrase for years with the Packers: just run the dang ball. And uh, finally, finally they're able to do that. So that's pretty good to see. I like Aaron Jones a lot. He's really cool. AJ Dillon also really good player. So uh, I'm really happy that they're actually able to run their coach's system, and you don't have you know a guy who really thinks he's all that out there running the show. So. I felt pretty happy with the Packers win uh, against the Bears, but I'm not going to make too much out of that. I don't think the Bears are, are all that special this year. I don't think the NFC is really necessarily all that special. Oh, well, now wait a minute. You don't mean the NFC or the NFC North? I think the NFC is pretty special. You know why? I think the NFC is pretty special, Andrew. Come on now. I think you you two have the, the one piece of special in the NFC. I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> so are you buying in on these Detroit Lions, Andrew? I mean, everybody's like jumping on their bandwagon here. They get the big first win over the Chiefs, and everybody thinks they're like like the new hot team in the NFC. Yeah, uh, I definitely think that's the easy target to say. The Chiefs and the Bills both look pretty underwhelming, but I think when you have – Big-time offensive players like Mahomes and Allen. Um, it's just week one. You know, it's the NFL. You can lose a couple games. You can lose three, four, five games and still win your division, still get the bye. Um, so I'm not not going to jump to that conclusion yet. But kind of like your previous guest, I was, I was eavesdropping on your previous guest talking about B-Rob, Matt, with a good question about B-Rob. Uh, get him the ball a little bit more. I think that's kind of the key. Um, for success for the Lions on the opposite end of the Bama spectrum is get Jameer Gibbs the ball a little bit more. I think he's a lot more special than Montgomery. I certainly like him. He came from the Bears. I think he's pretty talented. But um, Jameer Gibbs needs to get a lot more touches in the passing game. Goff, Goff is getting the ball out of his hands quick. So that that I like to see because you don't often see that from him. So, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll buy a little stock today on this, on this day, Bob, and the Lions. Uh, do you miss all of the Commanders, Washington football team, Redskins talk that used to consume you back in the day? Um, maybe, maybe, maybe not quite as much. I, I feel like that franchise could turn a new lease once they've got new ownership. And I think the reason that I had so much disdain for them was just Dan Snyder. But um, defensively, that front is really good. And, I, you know, it's it's. It's funny because I'm sitting there thinking about Brian Robinson. I'm watching the Bama game, which I turned on and off and on and off about five or six times in pure saltiness versus Texas. Um, but I'm just feeling like college and the NFL, the gap is maybe I'm getting older and, and seeing things a little differently, but I feel like the gap between college and the NFL is not quite as big as it used to be. I feel like uh, Brian Robinson wasn't very good at Alabama. Um, he got plenty of chances. And he wasn't like, you know, a sensational underclassman running back who just got in uh, Tuscaloosa and got to play immediately. 
Um, so he had to really earn his time. But I just feel like he's one of the best weapons that they have. And for, for me to say that really makes me believe that the gap is not as big as it used to be between college football and the NFL. Oh, I was waiting for uh, Matt to chime in a little bit there when you brought up Alabama. I turned that game off there, Drew. Uh, I thought Alabama must have won, right? They were home and they never lose those games. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Let's have some revisionist history and let's let's just pretend that Alabama won that game. Let, let's, while we're at it, Matt, we, let's pretend that Steve Sarkeesian is still the offensive coordinator at Alabama because that would that would certainly be pretty nice. <laughs> It is odd, though, to see them lose that game because they don't usually lose that game, that's for sure. No, no, that, that'll, be my, uh, that'll be my too rash, and that'll, that'll make you laugh. Hot take of the day for you, Matt. I think, uh, I think the dynasty's dead, but I was saying that last year to Bob. So uh, Saban's not going to win another one. Very weird to see him lose at home. Fan base seemed a little confused when adversity hit, and they weren't quite as loud and responsive and intense. It almost kind of reminded me of the A&M game with Johnny Manziel when he kind of came in there and did what he wanted, although it was a lot, that game was a lot prettier in terms of execution. This game was kind of sloppy. There wasn't really an execution until late um, in that game. But, you know, A&M, with that game, they were joining the SEC. Um, that was their first year in the SEC, and in this case, Texas joining it next year. So... I'm not going to proclaim Texas the kings of the SEC yet. Certainly Georgia is just going to keep winning national titles unless they get 20 more speeding tickets. Uh, but, yeah, I think Nick Saban's, Nick Saban's days of winning natties are, are over, but that's, that's nothing new to Bob who I was telling that last year. Yeah, but still, that's a that's a great refreshing hot take from you, Andrew. The the defeatist Saban attitude there. I still kind of am trying to grasp that, and to hear you say that Georgia's just going to keep winning national championships, something something's up here, Andrew. Something is up for sure. Well, why not? Why not, yeah. guys? I mean, uh, who who else is who else is there? Anybody else going to be able to contend? I don't know. Uh, uh, not right now. I don't think. I think you're right. At, at this point so all right andrew appreciate you checking in you miss us you miss the radio come on now. i think our listeners most of our audience knows that that andrew co-hosted the sports huddle well he and i were co-hosts uh for a while uh, in a different time slot actually than we are now and he's doing very well obviously out there in the windy city right yeah all good out here definitely miss it uh from time to time miss uh chatting uh, Eagles with you and local sports with you and then betting with Matt. So I hope you guys are doing great, and uh, thanks for taking my call. Those those things haven't changed. Check in any time, Andrew, <laughs> particularly as, as the Packers season continues to unfold, too. Thank you, my friend. Hope all's well. All right. See you guys. All right. Uh, yeah, Andrew Wallace uh, was the, the old Black and Drew sports huddle uh, back in the day. Really, really enjoyed those times and days with him. Uh, so I gave him a little longer bit of a leash there because I, I definitely wanted to make sure we did touch on the Alabama situation and their their loss to Texas on Saturday night. Dropped them down uh, out of the top ten. Uh, no, right at number ten this week in the uh, in the college football polls. All right, I know we went a long time there, AJ. We still got uh, we still got Caesar tapping his foot, waiting to come on the air with us. We have all. All the time in the world have, for my you, brother. Yeah. <laughs> Is that Caesar right there? Caesar, the you. We're 2-0. and They're unbeaten. They're going all the way. What's happening? Well, well, well. Listen, what can we talk about? There was a Texas team that went to South Florida that people were picking to win and beat Miami. It didn't happen. 
because there was a storm coming. It's still coming, and it's going there slowly. Let me tell you, gentlemen, right now we're in a good spot. Clemson's not the same team they were three years ago. Florida State is hyping themselves up. By the time November comes around, they're going to be probably having a loss by somebody they're not supposed to lose to. Miami's going to stay focused with this team, with this coaching, with this talent. And I'm glad, think of first, that Cam Kitchens is doing great and he's not hurt. So I'm happy with that. Um, I think there's a lot of good college football. And I think Georgia can lose to somebody in their conference and outside their conference. Not sure who yet. We'll wait and see how it plays out. The Pac-12 still looks good. So that's what I want to say. Just I want to enjoy the limelight and the sunny day in Virginia. <laughs> and remember, Miami is starting to get back to where it should be. Heard. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, Caesar. I don't know who put together Miami's schedule, but you guys got a cakewalk until you get into, like, the Shut middle up. of October. Excuse me. No cakewalk. Two oh, weeks, God. it's coming. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute, Caesar. Wait a minute, Caesar. Uh, make sure you hear Matt Joseph here, all right? Matt? Two two uh, weeks, you're coming to the city of brotherly love, and there will be no love for Miami in, the, in that game in two weeks. Cakewalk. That's fine. We'll take care of the Temple Islands. They can have your old tie-dye coach, too, with them golden. They can have that man back in the shoebox, you know, with his tie. You know, <laughs> uh, I don't know what the line will be on that game, Matt, but I'm betting you're not putting your money where your mouth is. On that no, no, I will not be. No, no, no. <laughs> unless the spread's like over thirty or more, then he might. Yeah, maybe not even then. It's not much of a home field <laughs> advantage for them either, in case you hadn't noticed. So no, it's not. All right, Caesar, enjoy it until um, I was just looking at, at your schedule until like till you till you got to go to Carolina. You really you can really sleepwalk through the in next October. month. Carolina's yeah. in October. I that's, know that's the next benchmark. That's basically your next game. That's that's not a bet. That's just like ne- basically your next game is Carolina in well, October. We have games. We just you know just not a scrimmages. Not a scrimmages you've got the ACC's weak. Yeah. Leave us alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Detroit Miami's trying Detroit. to make it stronger by padding its schedule. All right. Yeah. Well, all right. Yeah. I all do right. want to say one thing. I think yes. it's very unique. But I think last year of the Pac-12 and all of those teams, especially their quarterbacks, look sharp, which is very ironic. And where in the Pac-12? You mean? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, they're they're going out with a bang, that's for sure. No doubt about that. Yeah. I know. Oh, yeah. I know. I guess, uh, well, Stanford had a little, yeah, Stanford, Stanford, that's their only, yeah, they got a few uh, yeah, losses, but not true. many. Yep. Yep. Yeah. All right. Caesar, thanks. Uh, I would tell you that uh, you have a great day, gentlemen. Even Matt, too, for a change. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, Caesar. What did he mean by that, Matt? Even you, too. I don't know. You're it's because I'm a Miami hater. It, yeah. It's because I need to see it from the U before I believe it. I mean, that was a great win against Texas A&M. It was a great win. And, yeah, beating up on Bethune-Cookman this weekend, I'm sure, yeah. will feel very good. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the, I mean, look, I, I was wrong. I figured A&M would win that game, and uh, Miami uh, took care of business. 
Um, I had it up here a minute ago. Where are they? Uh, they're they're ranked this week, aren't they? I would twenty second. Twenty second. Yeah. And Tyler is looking great. And it, it's it's they're not going to go anywhere for the next several weeks. I wouldn't think till till they get to the Carolina game. All right, we're going to get to a break. Let's do that. We'll come back. We'll finish up the 4 o'clock hour. We'll let uh, Matt go on his merry way, and we'll take you home till 6 o'clock uh, tonight. It is kind of our mashup Monday on a Tuesday. It's the Sports Huddle 1061 ESPN. He delivers his own take on sports. And maybe if you're lucky, a pepperoni pizza and garlic sticks. But I wouldn't count on it. He's cheap. Matt Josephs is live. Weekday afternoons beginning at 3 on 1061 ESPN Richmond. Richmond. 1061. Bob Black here, Matt Josephs there, finishing you up in the four o'clock hour. Basically the sports huddle, but kind of our mashup edition. Again, we had no Monday shows because of Braves baseball, and we like to kind of come together on Mondays in the four o'clock hour after Matt does border to border from three to four, and I'll take you home on the huddle from from five until six. So I can't let you get out of here today, Matt, without asking the ever-present question. Now, in light of the college football results in the Commonwealth this past week, who is the flagship program in the Commonwealth of Virginia now, I ask you? Uh, it's never going to change, Bob. It's still it's still the James Madison Dukes. Uh, they're still number one. William Mary's still number two. Huh. So... Uh, Liberty? Where are you putting Liberty? I mean, I, I they're probably three. Um, I just, you know, they haven't really played anybody, but that was the whole thing, was they had the easiest schedule in the NCAA entering the season, and then so far they're 2-0 and and taking care of business. I have to move ODU up, though. I, I had ODU really low, and perhaps they found a quarterback and found an offensive system. On the JMU front, um, I, I like in, in real time and where they've been more consistently – in the past recent history, I guess, I think it is fairly accurate to call them the flagship per- program right now. I never believed I'd be saying that, having worked at Richmond, which is their rival for all those years, no more, now that they've moved up. But in light of where the programs are at Virginia and Virginia Tech right now, I, I-, I get why Brent Pry was trying to say that at media day, but I think he's eating his words now. Uh, yeah, I admit I, I admire him defending his program, but yep. um, uh, you know it's it's obvious. And look, as we've talked about, it's it's somewhat short term. It's all it's been the mm-hmm. past couple of years. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, if we're including everybody, I guess the flagship program of Virginia is Randolph Macon. I'm guessing, but yeah. I mean, obviously in Division One, it's it, you know James Madison's winning games, and and people who are going to say, well, they don't have bowl games, well, that's the NCAA's fault. It's not their fault that uh, they can't go to the postseason. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, agreed. I think they've handled that great as well. I think their players and the lead that the coaches have taken on that with their guys. And I think it had been really important, Matt, for the senior group last year and the senior group this year. All of the others are probably going to get a chance. Well, they are. They're at least going to get an opportunity to play for a championship and a bowl beginning next year. But I just think the way the senior groups the last two years and the coaches handled it, is probably one of the reasons they continue to be successful and they continue to keep those guys there and they didn't just jump ship because they can. Yeah. 
And and and, and look, I'm I, I'm still amazed they only had one guy leave and he left for an SEC program. Like yeah. you can't, you, there's nothing JMU can do if you're gonna if you've got a guy. And think about the last couple who've left. Uh, Juice Wells went to South Carolina, um, and then there was the other linebacker who went to Texas. Uh, Dorsey, I think, was yep. it? He yep. went to Texas. So like, there's nothing JMU can do if t- if they're gonna lose guys to high powered P- uh, Power Five programs. Yeah, no, I mean, I like where they are right now. Uh, keep an eye on Liberty as well. And I love your call on William & Mary, which has gotten off to a 2-0 and start and certainly seems to be the cream of the CAA, at least early uh, this season. All right, Matt, great stuff. Uh, back at it again tomorrow with Border to Border, and we will catch up soon. Sounds good. There goes Matt Josephs for this afternoon. Uh, we'll take you up here 5 o'clock. ESPN Sports Center update coming your way and then back on the other side of that. I haven't even touched on Richmond yet. I'll get into a little bit of that when we come back in the 5 o'clock hour as well. More Commanders Talk. Darrell Owens from Legacy Maker Sports Network will join us in the 5 o'clock hour and we'd love to take some more phone calls like the ones that we just had in the 4 o'clock hour. Sports Center update next on the Sports Center 1061 ESPN.